Watch and listen to the Talking News every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96, Comcast Xfinity, and Channel 30, Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9, Xfinity, and Channel 29, Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. New GM for Belmont Light appointed by Joanna K. Zavallis. The Belmont Light Board unanimously voted in favor of appointing Christopher Roy Concord Municipal Light Plant's current assistant director as Belmont Light's new general manager, subject to successful negotiation of a contract following his public interview on April 9th. Current acting general manager Craig Spinelli was also a final candidate and publicly interviewed on April 9th. At the end of July, the Belmont Light Board voted not to renew the contract of Jim Palmer, who served as general manager since 2010. Spinelli was appointed as the acting general manager by the Belmont Light Board. Guru White, the same search committee used to help hire town administrator Patrice Garvin, was used to help with the Belmont Light General Manager search. Ten applications for the position were received and five candidates were interviewed by the screening committee on April on March 24th. The committee then narrowed it down to three candidates to be interviewed by the Light Board, but one dropped out. Light Board Chairman Adam Dash said both were great candidates, but only one could get the job. He said Roy did a great job in the presentation section of the interview with the problem the light board asked the candidates to analyze and solve, which was how to keep rates from going up while increasing the green energy portion of Belmont's power supply. He clearly has a passion for public power and the experience in working on substations, solar institutions, installations, excuse me, and, uh, and green energy policies. It was a close call, but the vote was unanimous. Mr. Spinelli has done a great job as acting GM, and re- we, really want to, uh, we really want him to stay. Having both of them would give Belmont Light a dream team, said Dash in an email to the Citizen Herald on April 10th. Roy has been the assistant director of the Concord Municipal Light Plant since 2013. Prior to that, he was the interim communications coordinator for Concord Municipal Light Plant from 2011 to 2013 engineering and operations manager from 2010 to 2013, an electrical engineer from, 20, uh, from 2009 to 2010. Before joining Concord Municipal Light Plant, Roy worked for NSTAR Electric and Gas as a substation operations supervisor from 2005 to 2009. 
Roy has a Bachelor of Science degree in electrical engineering from Tufts University and a master's in power systems management from Worcester, from Worcester Polytech Institute. In Roy's cover letter to Garo White, he stated on a regular basis, I balance pressures from the community, other town departments, and system events to provide guidance to our staff so they can focus on the right tasks with minimal obstacles. He outlines examples of his experience to show how the key functions of the position closely match his experience, such as his work developing all aspects of strategic and financial planning for Concord Municipal Light Plant and a power procurement strategy outlined to help Concord achieve its goals for the Global Warming Solutions Act it adopted in 2008. Belmont would be a great fit for me because Concord and Belmont are essentially sister communities. Our sustainability initiatives, our infrastructure, and our light plant organizations are all very similar. I have had a lot of success aligning the Concord light plants activities with the community's goals and welcome the opportunity to to do the same in Belmont, said Roy in an email to the Citizen Herald. And now on to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Former selectman Bill Skelly has passed away by Joanna K. Zuvelis. On election day, many Belmont residents were sad to learn the news of a dear friend and dedicated town volunteer who touched many lives passing away. William Skelly, who served as a selectman for two terms from 1994 to 2000, and was very active on the Veterans Memorial Committee and in Belmont's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, passed away on April 3rd. Skelly lived in Belmont for more than 50 years. He also served on the Warrant Committee, was a town Precinct 5 town meeting member, and key player in fundraising for the Beach Street Center project. He also coached youth sports in Belmont for 20 years. Skelly leaves behind his sons, William and Christopher, daughter Mary Elizabeth Fiengo, seven grandchildren, and his sisters, Barbara Skelly of Belmont and Kathleen Mullins of Waltham. The selectmen held a moment of silence in his honor at their meeting the morning of April 4 with newly elected member Tom Caputo and honored him with a proclamation at their April 9 meeting, Lives He Touched. Skelly's younger sister, Mary Elizabeth, was born with severe disabilities and passed away at age 7 when he was 13. In an interview with the Citizen Herald two years ago, Skelly credited his sister for inspiring him to help others. She taught me the true meaning of life, True happiness in our life comes from helping those in need. Bullies do not understand this, but we must help them understand this true meaning of happiness in our lives, Skelly said. Timmy Polson is a nine-year-old boy from Belmont who Skelly spent a few hours each week visiting. He was born with a micro-deletion of his fourth chromosome, which causes him to be severely disabled. Timmy's mom, mother, Catherine, 
said there seems to be an immediate bond from the moment Skelly and Timmy first met four years ago at church when Skelly introduced himself. Skelly was honored at a memorial service at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Belmont on April 9. Catherine spoke about his relationship with her son at the memorial. She said, it takes a lot of time and energy to get Timothy to come to truly recognize somebody. Bill invested this time and energy. As their friendship blossomed, Timothy would light up when he heard his best friend Bill come into the room. His head would turn and his expression changed as he often would reach for Bill's face. Sometimes Tim would smile and chuckle. Sometimes he'd click his tongue in excitement, she said. Skelly began an initiative called the Community Friends Project, designed to encourage teenagers to donate some of their time with people living with severe disabilities. Both the Board of Selectmen and the school committee supported the concept. A Let's Get It Done guy. Anne-Marie Mahoney, Capital Budget Committee Chairman, succeeded Skelly on the Board of Selectmen. He and I had worked together when he was on the BOS and I was on the school committee. He convinced Peter Holland, the superintendent, to undertake a collaborative form of bargaining with the teachers' union, and he participated with us, she wrote in an email. Bill was a true Belmontian. He grew up in town and was a high school sports star, went to Harvard, and became a successful businessman. He married his high school sweetheart and raised his own children here. He always remained actively involved in the town, the school, sports, and local politics. Bill was a positive, upbeat, let's-get-it-done kind of guy. He was a joy to work with and a calming influence in many stressful moments in town government. One of his key interests as a selectman was to have a senior center in town. His parents were active seniors, and he believed they deserved a dedicated space. His early work led to the eventual, eventual construction of the present senior center, continued Mahoney. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Paradise Flowers Moves to Cushing Square by Joanna Kate Savalas. <clears throat> Paradise Flowers, located at 415 Concord Ave in Belmont Center since 1987, has moved to 454 Common Street in Cushing Square. Owner Christine Haverty, who has lived in Belmont her whole life, said moving was a difficult decision, but she wanted to make a fresh start in a new space which is actually closer to her home. She also believes parking in her new location will be better for customers. Sharing parking with the post office was tricky, especially around the holidays, she said. Haverty took over Paradise Flowers in 1999. I had worked there for four years before I realized that I had a head for the business end of the industry, too. I knew I wanted the freedom to create the designs I loved, to be able to meet the customers and build relationships with them, and be able to support myself doing it, she said. Soon after taking over the shop, the franchise Kabloom opened nearby in Belmont Center, which was com competition for Haverty. It was a little scary at first, being up against such a large, successful company, but I also knew they would have challenges. I know from experience the hours that you have to put in to make a successful flower shop. 
It's certainly not a nine-to-five for me, she said. The secret to her success has been choosing the freshest flowers, finding employees who are willing to work long hours at the holidays, and are as passionate about flowers and people as she is. My hope is that I'll be at this location for another 30 years. I want to be coming in, seeing my customers, and helping them spread happiness through flowers until I'm very old. And that's a long time off, said Haverty. The Belmont Citizen Herald recently had the opportunity to meet with Haverty and talk about her business. How did you get into the floral business? It took me a little while to find my passion. I knew I had an artistic eye for proportion and design, but I didn't know exactly how I would use it. I had tried my hand at cake decorating, which I really liked, and I worked in an office setting for a while, but found it didn't suit my creative side. My grandmother, Tilly, was a painter, and she painted these gorgeous, award-winning paintings of flowers when I was growing up. Whenever I saw them, I was moved. The color and vibrancy of flowers, the way it brightens someone's day and lifts them up, even if just for a moment, that's what really drew me to working at Paradise Flowers originally. What appeals to you about the new Cushing Square location? The new location gives me the chance to be a part of this new Cushing Square that's really just bursting with possibility. There are so many improvements happening and new development coming in. It's really exciting to be a part of that. I look forward to fostering relationships with the local businesses in the area, and I'm hoping to continue my relationships with my current customers while meeting lots of new ones. It's such a great area with a lot of character, and now it's buzzing with new life. How will your new store be different from prior location? The new store is bigger, brighter, and more up-to-date technologically. My focus is on giving it the same welcoming feeling I had over at Concord Ave, and I really think it's coming together beautifully. We also now have online ordering, so if that's how you like to order, you can still do that and still know that it's coming from a designer you know and can trust to get the message just right. What do you love about what you do? The best part of the job is definitely working with the clients to help them create custom designs. Each person has their own aesthetic, and I work with them to design arrangements that fit their style and personality. This is especially true about weddings and special events that I provide the flowers for. I love doing weddings and events making sure the bride or honoree has the freshest, best selection of flowers and the most creative designs. But I also truly believe that receiving flowers is still a special and exciting occasion if you use a designer who cares about what they're making. That's always my goal. I want the receiver to feel the message that the giver is trying to get across. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Three things to know about the Selectman meeting by Angela Toma. The Belmont Board of Selectmen met on April 9th. It was the first full meeting for the newest member, Tom Caputo. Here are three takeaways from this meeting. Number one, regional dockless bicycle share program. At the end of last year, the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, MAPC, announced a project aimed at bringing a new bike-sharing network to the Metro Boston area. The multi-town bike-sharing project would connect 16 Boston area communities, including towns such as Lexington, Newton, Waltham, and Watertown. The system will use dockless technology. As the name suggests, dockless bikes 
do not require a docking station and can be parked within a defined area along the sidewalk or at a bike rack. Members of the Board of Selectmen said they believe it is a great way to reduce the cars on the street as well as a great way to make biking easier and more accessible to the community. There is no cost to the municipality for participating in this program. The selectmen passed a motion to sign the memorandum of understanding to facilitate collaboration with the management of the regional metropolis bike sharing system. Issue number two, fiscal year 2019 supplemental requests. The selectmen did not vote on any fiscal year 2019 supplemental requests. State aid is not finalized and the selectmen cannot hold a vote before then. They are, they are prioritizing funding for existing veteran services, officer hours, tree trimming, a council on aging, social worker, a school resource officer for the Chenery Middle School and rodent control. Discussions are ongoing. Issue number three, housing trust agreement. The warrant committee discussed and voted on proposed Community Preservation Act, the CPA project at the April 4th meeting. One of the projects is a housing trust agreement that would establish a housing trust fund to support affordable housing options in Belmont. The committee voted unanimously in favor of housing of the housing trust fund. However, some Warren committee members have accountability concerns with how the trust will use and allocate their funds. Before the project is taken to town meeting for a vote, the committeemen have suggested drafting a contract that lays out how, how the trust will be using their funding. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. A topping off ceremony held for new, quote, barn. Belmont Day School held ceremony to celebrate construction of the new building by Joanna K. Zavellis. There was a lot of exhilaration in the year as students at Belmont Day School gathered together the morning of April 9 for a topping-off ceremony to celebrate the construction of the new building, which is being referred to as a barn. This moment is a long, long time in the making. There are some people who have been thinking about this barn and believing in it for as many as six or seven years said Headmaster Brendan Largay. According to Belmont Day Director of Communications, Corrine McQuilton, the new building is referred to as the barn as a nod to the school's history. Belmont Day was founded in 1927 when Belmont was still a town of farms. Belmont Day School initially began operating at All Saints Parish House on Clark Street until 1932, when it outgrew the church facilities. A parent came upon a little stone house in the big field that offered expansion possibilities in a country atmosphere. In 1933, the school's executive committee purchased the stone cottage, which is currently part of the Belmont Day School Library, said McQuilton. 
The barn, estimated to cost $11.5 million to build, is expected to be complete in late November. The building will add arts, athletics, and academic spaces to the campus and includes a wood shop, an innovation lab, two art studios, general purpose space, offices, locker rooms, and reception areas. The field house is sized for two side-by-side dual-use basketball and volleyball courts. The barn will enhance the experience of our current community of 274 students. Our plan for middle school enrollment growth calls for a gradual increase over four years, adding 30 to 40 in total new students to the community, said McQuilton. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Dance Show Elicits Many Emotions by Mayumi Miura Motoyama. I saw Avalon Dance and Fitness Studios Spring Showcase Anything Goes on the Dance Floor at a Dancer Friends invitation on March 16th. I knew little to nothing about ballroom dancing, but my first dance show experience was far beyond my expectations. Each piece of the program, featuring both professional and amateur dancers in various combinations, were beautifully crafted, and I was immediately captivated by the charm of ballroom dancing and the passion of the performers. To learn that such high-level performances were being given at a local town studio was a pleasant surprise. The studio is located at 345 Trapello Road, Belmont. The building may have a modest exterior, but take one step inside and you are greeted by a large staircase, and past the black door at the top you will find a spacious ballroom. The show began with a brilliant group dance to the Cole Porter classic, Anything Goes. Watching such explosive joy emitted by the ten dancers with bright smiles and dazzling costumes made my heart skip a beat. Next on the program was a graceful waltz. The moment the pair, who had been swinging slowly, began sliding across the floor along with the surging music was breathtaking. The program of 26 numbers was comprised of a variety of styles from cha-chas, tangos, and quick steps with comedic choreography to waltzes, which displayed the simple beauty of the style using the entire floor. The contrast between each piece kept the audience's attention. The characteristics of the styles could be understood very distinctly even by those without any dance experience, such as myself. Every number's choreography was finely crafted to fit the specific dancer's skills and personalities. The audience applauded and called out not only at the end of a dance, but whenever an impressive technique was pulled off, which encouraged the dancers even more. I am sure that the more one knows about dance vocabulary, the more one can participate in the show. The music had a lot of variety, from standard numbers to some ethnic tunes. As the program went on, it became clear to me that dance is the art of how one perceives music and how one can express this with a given style. The master of ceremonies that night was professional Brad Morrison. He warmly introduced the dancers with their recent achievements and cleverly connected the numbers with his cheerful speech while talking to the guests. As MC, he was also an essential part of the program. Ballroom dance is generally done in pairs, pros, pro-am, or amateurs. Of course, the pair of professional dancers, Jess and Kamar, were particularly exquisite. 
It was amazing that even on the up-tempo pieces, viewer could viewers could still see each pose clearly, and they were constantly sensing each other's presence without the need to look. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Caputo Sworn In is newest selectman by Joanna K. Zuvalis. With his wife, Sarah, and twin daughters, Jane and Allison, by his side, Tom Caputo was sworn in as Belmont's newest selectman on the morning of April 4th and immediately attended his first official meeting of the board. Caputo ran uncontested for the three-year seat. However, Thomasina Olson decided to give residents another alternative at the last minute by running as a write-in candidate just days before the election. Caputo won the election with 2,106 votes. He said running uncontested gave him gave him to opportunity gave him an opportunity to have more of a listening campaign and hear residents' concerns about the town budget and capital projects. He said he would like to make revenue a priority. At the April 4th meeting, the selectmen voted to reorganize the board with Adam Dash becoming the chairman and Mark Paolilio becoming the vice chairman. There will be a new policy outlining the rotation for selectmen to depoliticalize the chairman and vice chairmanship. After a brief discussion, the selectmen decided it was best for a member not to be chairman for their third year due to the time it takes to run for re-election. Paolilio said he didn't completely agree with the new policy, but seconded the nomination for Dash to become the chairman. Dash said there would be three simple rules. No drama, be respectful, and don't waste anyone's time. And over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. A sugar-induced stampede by Steve Anier. Katie Samuels has fond memories of eating Necco wafers, the chalky, multicolored candies made by the New England Confectionery Company. As a kid, Samuels and her siblings would play church at their grandmother's house, placing the circular treats into their mouths as if they were taking communion, she said. So when the 23-year-old Florida resident learned recently that the Revere-based sweets manufacturer was at risk of closing down and laying off hundreds of its employees due to financial insecurities, she reached out to candy wholesaler CandyStore.com to try and scoop up as many packages of the iconic sweets as possible. Desperate times, as they say, lead to desperate measures. I offered to trade my 2003 Honda Accord for all of their stock, she said by Telephone Tuesday. I knew it was kind of a silly thing to say, but I'm serious. I don't have much right now, so I was like, I've got this car and I want all that candy, so maybe they would consider it. In March, NECO Chief Executive Michael McGee notified the state and Revere Mayor Brian M. Arrigo that 395 workers could be laid off if the candy maker can't find a buyer. NECO, which has been producing wafers since 1847, is Revere's largest employer. News at the company, they're also known for such old-timey classics as those tooth-hugging squirrel nut zippers 
and Crunchy Sweethearts could close by May, allegedly sent people from across the country into Twinkie hoarding mode. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that candy connoisseurs have been maniacally calling up distributors, asking to buy candy in bulk. Candystore.com is calling it the Great Necco Wafer Panic. The business claims sales of wafers have jumped since the Globe first wrote about Necco's financial troubles last month. Necco sales spiked more than 50%. Necco wafers are up 63%, the company wrote in a blog post. A clear signal of panic buying. They said a nice older woman called and wanted to buy 100 pounds of wafers. Emails by the hundreds about Necco branded candies came rolling in. And then, of course, a young woman named Katie contacted us offering to trade her used Honda Accord for all our Necco wafers. Now, here's Max. Thank you, Claire. Vote Delayed on Yawkey Way Name Change by Milton J. Valencia. The city's Public Improvement Commission Thursday postponed its vote on a request by the Boston Red Sox to remove the name of former Red Sox owner Tom Yawkey from the street alongside Fenway Park because of Yawkey's reputed pattern of bigotry. The decision by the commission came at the request of the Red Sox organization, which has formally asked that Yawkey's name be stricken from street signs and that the, na- the street return to its original name of Jersey Street. The team asked for the delay on Wednesday in a, writ- a letter written by Red Sox Senior Vice President David Friedman. He wrote that the Red Sox, under current owner John Henry, remain committed to restoring the city street to its original name. Henry and his wife Linda Henry also own the Boston Globe. We remain committed to our petition and do not seek to alter it in any way, Friedman wrote. But, he wrote, the Red Sox wanted the panel to postpone Thursday's hearing for two weeks to give the commission, quote, ample time to review and fully consider the substantial testimony and any new material that has been received from the community, unquote. The commission reset the vote for April 26th. The request by the Red Sox comes after an emotional public hearing last month in which longtime power brokers such as philanthropist Jack Connors and former Red Sox CEO John Harrington argued that Yawkey's substantial charitable works should be given due consideration during the ongoing debate. But some members of the city black community, including State Representative Byron Rushing and Tanisha Sullivan, president of the city's NAACP, pointed out Yawkey's reputed bigotry. Yawkey, for whom the street was named in 1977, owned the team from 1933 until his death in 1976. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.